0: Welcome back to Bricks and Clicks. I'm your host, Johnny Valeriat, and I'm joined by my co-host, Colin Davidson.
1: Hey, Johnny. How's it going? It's
0: going great. Happy New Year, Colin. Also, a you. shout out to Lucas Walker in the podcast booth producing us. How you doing, Lucas?
2: Uh, I am good. First, first Bricks and Clicks of the year. Can't wait to hear uh, what you two have to say about all the supply chain issues going on facing the grocery and CPG industry.
1: Yeah. So today we're taking a couple of questions that showed up online and also going to talk a little bit about Omicron and how that fits in the mix. We had a few questions or requests to talk about a couple things and, and those were around how distribution centers fit in the ecosystem of grocery retailers and then also distribution centers versus direct store delivery or DSD. Johnny, it'd be a good idea just to kind of break some of those terms down and talk about what, what we mean there. Yeah, that sounds great. And Thank you to Sharble
0: Simon for sending in the questions, much appreciated. So the two that you mentioned, like using a distribution center with your retailers or direct store delivery DSD, the two are very common ways of getting product into the store and on the shelves. And so a DSD or direct store delivery path is where you are responsible for bringing the product right to the individual grocery store. So the Safeway down the road or the Lobos down the road and delivering it right to the store. And then that way the product
1: will get on the shelf. Why would someone do that versus just sending it to the Safeway warehouse?
0: If you look at some of the big, big brands, big companies out there, the big CPG companies who own their distribution network, they're able to do that and have more control of getting the product on shelf because that's always an issue, right? Is hey, we deliver it, we drop it off at a DC, and is it going to get to this store? It's like you're adding more complexity to it. And so if you can go straight to the source, that's going to make it simpler and hopefully reduce some of the logistical challenges that might come up from that situation. So if mm-hmm. you're big and can afford it, then you're going to try and do that as much as possible, but it's hard to do and it's expensive.
1: Right. So, so we got the big companies and then I know there's also, there are some small companies I know of that do DSD or a lot of them are actually those, um, some tortilla chip companies or actually tortillas themselves. I've seen a lot of them with their own trucks doing DSD work. And I assume that's uh, mostly based on shelf life, right? Like if you got to be on the shelf seven days, a max seven days after you manufacture, uh, you probably don't want to trust someone else with your product at that point.
0: Yeah. It just adds another link in that supply chain, in the product from manufactured all the way to a consumer's hands. And so the more links you add, the more chances that something could go wrong. And so if you can reduce that link, that's great. But- it might not be possible for a lot of brands out there because it's so expensive.
1: Yeah, and so most of the companies that are just starting out probably not going to be a reasonable route to market. However, I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily, right? Like most com- most products that you're looking at in stores are going in through distribution centers. Mm-hmm. I know it's it's a lot simpler to ship to one spot instead of hundreds different stores. Yeah, because I think you said it earlier when there are conversations around The other thing is that there's all that complexity, right, associated, like you said, with having all your own trucks and equipment and, and people to deliver. Yeah,
0: it's just you're focused right now on manufacturing some goods, right? Like that's a hard thing to do. And now if you add on the part of delivering it, that's just a whole other headache you're bringing into your sort of operations that you probably don't have the reasons for or resources to do or capacity to do. So if you could just have it, hey, I can build up my goods and ship it to one spot, this DC for for Kroger or, or Safeway or Target or whomever, then that's just going to be a lot easier. Then you're just managing that one, wherever the distribution centers are set up across the nation, and you're just managing mm-hmm. that freight lane.
1: Well, we got a really big lesson in that with COVID and now with the Omicron spike happening where we kind of got to see what happens when you have a complicated supply chain and a lot of the companies that we're working with are actively working now to simplify those things right they want to they want to handle the product as little as possible or handle it once and make sure you can hand it off at the end
0: yeah and that's where like you can even build into your pricing structure having it uh, a pickup right have them pick it up at your warehouse or like where you're storing the product have the retailer do that and that's all negotiable right in terms of that price that you sell to each customer you can negotiate that and have it as a pickup price instead of a delivered price So then you're really taking out that whole extra freight component and logistic components like hey you can come pick it up from us and we'll give you a discount and mm-hmm. those are discounts you can manage with your customers in terms of influencing what's easier for you And so I would definitely look at that as well. And I think most, a lot of customers out there, they'll expect, Hey, what's my pickup price and what's my delivered price. And so now you can put some thought and sort of analytics behind that to get an idea of what it could be. And so you're break even, or you really, you're indifferent to each, each scenario. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah. I think you kind of hit on the the big point earlier, which was what are you really good at as a company or what are you trying to get good at? Are you trying to get good at making products that consumers respond to and, and buy? or are you trying to get good at logistics and be a logistics company because as we've seen it's really really hard to focus on those two things at the same time i know my recommendation is always try and let someone else do your logistics for as long as possible because yep. it's it's so hard
0: it's interesting like you, you say it that way right like we think about that for manufacturing goods i think a lot of times we advise companies say use a co-man use a co-manufacturing facility or service to to manufacture your product, when you're trying to get into scale. Don't go out and buy a manufacturing facility. That's a big investment. Let someone else handle that because you've got the idea and the recipe and you've, you've focused on that, the branding. Focus on the marketing and the sales. Let someone else do the manufacturing. Let someone else do the distribution network. Let the grocery store sell it to the consumers. And I think that's just a smart way to grow your business. So you're not making these big investments that might not work out for you in the future because it just makes it too complicated if something goes wrong.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So I think maybe to to get back to like answering that question, it's really distribution centers are absolutely a necessary part of the ecosystem just in getting product from one place to another, right? You're going to need warehouses to put it in. And that's essentially what a distribution center is. I know I always advocate for, yeah, use those distribution centers and don't get into the complexities of DSD unless you absolutely have to, or you've got to a scale where you can be a highly functioning logistics organization as well as a consumer packaged goods product manufacturer. Yeah, exactly.
0: Cool. So I think that answers that question. So as I'm sure everyone out there is aware, the Omicron variant has been wreaking havoc in the entire world. Uh, So I hope everyone's staying safe out there. But specifically towards bricks and clicks and the CPG industry, it's causing a lot of issues. I mean, we're seeing this with labor shortages, not being able to find labor is going to impact your supply chain, not being able to find truck drivers, everything is just it's impacting the entire supply chain and making it harder to get products manufactured and then shipped to grocery stores and then to consumers. And so some of the things that Colin and I and the team at Omni have been talking about when we work with our customers is, hey, what can you do to simplify? What can you do right now to put yourself in a good position to hopefully help manage that? And what can you control? And so i do to call on a couple of things you want to talk about and what you're recommending.
1: I mean, simplify is definitely the key word there. And there's so many different ways that you can look at simplifying. Just a few of them, right, are are things like simplifying your SKU assortment, making a lot of a small number of SKUs tends to be easier than making a little bit of a big number of SKUs. Really honing in the assortment, focusing on the items that sell is one way to simplify. It's simplifying your distributor networks. And your logistics networks, again, not having to make so many phone calls when inevitably you're shorting product helps your team work more effectively. So if if there's ways to get on one bigger distributor um, instead of a whole bunch of small ones, that can help. Um, and then the other one that comes to mind that maybe we don't think about is simplifying decision making. So getting a little bit more process in place for deciding which items you're going to produce when you have to decide, am I going to produce item A or item B? Right. How many times have you been in a situation where we can only do one? Right. So you have to decide we're going to make this one or that one. And it's good to have rules in place so that you're not bogged down with a thousand decisions every day. You can just say, no, I know we decided we're doing this one first. So simplifying decisions, make decision making processes. Also, I think is is an important part of that.
0: Yeah. I mean, to me, it comes back to the first point you brought up around assortment. Just focus on your top skew. I'm guessing when we know this, right, most brands, They have that one or two, maybe three SKUs that brought them to where they are today. And that's going to be their growth growth driver for the future. And so focus on that. I mean, we see a lot of brands where... They come up with a couple of really strong skews that gets them from 10 million to 50 million. And then they start down the path of innovation and developing new skews and new packs and new forms and new ideas. And that just adds more complexity. And they don't focus on those two or three skews that got them where they were, where they are today. Mm-hmm. And then when they get stuck in these challenges, they don't know what to manufacture. Are they trying to manufacture across all 20 skews? When it's like, no, just focus on those two right now. You've got to make that as easy as possible, as simple as possible. And those those items are going to drive your business. So you want you can't be cutting those orders. That's almost that's the worst spot that Colin I see is when you're when you're cutting orders when you're not able to fulfill the demand for your top two items. That's a killer spot to be in, like a bad
1: bad spot to be
0: in. And so we want to try and avoid that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Also on that, like if you have your entire assortment that you're shorting, you know all your customers are going to be yelling at you all the time. Right. Yeah. That's, that's a given. And so uh, wouldn't it be nice to be able to go to your customers and say, okay, these three items are now not going to be shorted. Yep. Like they're probably gonna be less upset, even though they may not be able to get their eighth, ninth and 10th items. But if they know they can get some items all the time when they order them, um, they're going to be a lot happier than you shorting everything.
0: And it, it's a really hard. I mean, it's easy to say this on a podcast but in reality, it's really hard for brands to do this and people to do this, right? Because you're basically saying, hey, we're going to go from making 20 SKUs to making three, prioritizing that. And now all those other 17 SKUs, they've been developed. They've been brought along through the process. There's a lot of history there. And that's good. That's a tough decision to make to say, hey, we're not going to focus on SKUs five, six, seven, and eight right now. We need to get these three right. So you can provide that that clear communication yeah. and managing your expectations with the retailers, your customers. Mm-hmm. So that's that's recommendation number one when you're dealing with these supply chain things is really focus on the handful of SKUs that really matter, that really drive your business. Mm -hmm. Keep it simple.
1: Yeah, keep it simple.
0: Another uh, sort of topic with Omicron that we're already experiencing right now this is kind of in COVID is sort of brought this to the forefront is inflation and higher costs, labor costs, material costs, all of that. Prices are going up. So manufacturers are feeling this because their raw materials are increasing. So their margins are shrinking. And so we need to think about your pricing and taking some sort of pricing action is probably something you should be considering seriously in 2022 if you haven't already. I think the one, the big thing that I'm sure a lot of you have seen is the 10 issues. Colin, Mm -hmm. you have multiple customers. I got some customers where you're seeing 60, 70% 70 percent increases in tin on their cans, or yeah, tin shortages. plated steel, yeah, yeah, exactly, yeah. or shortages, right? Paul?
1: yeah, like there, I think it was there was a PepsiCo story where they just couldn't get enough cans, so they discontinued or they temporarily discontinued, I should say, some of their bubbly flavors, yeah, and now. PepsiCo is probably one of the better ones at making these assortment decisions and they very quickly, right? They just said, Hey, we're going to just protect these small number of items. They just chopped the tail off really quick. So that was an example of what I would say was a really good, good decision that was made there. I have shot bubbly recently and I did see a lot of flavors. I don't know their full assortment, but it seems like they're back so there's hope when you short-term discontinue items that you can get them back
0: that's such a good point right i think we all think oh we're, we're going to three we're discontinuing our seven but it's just temporary temporary discontinuation mm-hmm. there's nothing stopping you from going and turning that skew back on six months from now and if consumers liked it now they'll probably like it then uh, mm-hmm. but you want to get the got to get those key skews going
1: we're going out of stock on these for a while or we're going to have a low fill rate for a while what our plan is here's when we expect to be back and then update them Cause you always often and the worst thing is just is providing no direction. Even if you can say it's going to be a while and here's when yeah. that makes the relationship so much better and builds that trust.
2: Question from the,
1: the peanut gallery.
2: In the, in the production studio, is there any merit to using some of those shortages to create a little bit of urgency or promotional messaging like back in stock? I know on the, the online side of things, back in stock notifications or almost soon to be selling out always does, does really well. Is there any uh, aspect to that? So I guess I don't know if there was a, a flavor of, of bubbly. Let's just use that because we're, we're on the train. Let's say pineapple bubbly is, is new and really popular. If it's about to sell out, and is there any merit to creating some limited time only messaging around it or we don't know when it will be back to to drive some sales and then using that to get customers opt-in for coupons or or anything else like that?
1: Yeah, not a marketer. We'll start with that. <laughs> but um, I think that there's definitely definitely availability there to create material around the comeback. I don't know if I would be as excited about talking about the going away part. maybe let that happen a little quieter. Uh,
0: Yeah, exactly. But uh,
1: any excuse to make new content and be like, Hey, these flavors you love are back. I think that's a great, uh, a great part of that relaunch plan.
0: And tied to that relaunch plan is let's make some changes to the SKUs. If there was something that we weren't happy about, like the formulation or the flavor, we wanted to tweak it. Let's do that now while we're not selling it. So we could say, Hey, let's, Let's spend some time rethinking our, I don't know, pineapple, strawberry, bubbly, or whatever it is, and say, hey, do we want to tweak that at all and come back with a new version? Because if you're temporarily discontinuing it, it means not one of your top two or three SKUs. And so there's probably something, maybe something we can do better or improve on it. So just use that opportunity to look at and kind of fix it if needed, or make the decision of, you know what, maybe this shouldn't be a temporary discontinuation. This should be a permanent discontinuation because it really wasn't working. So that's what I would think Colin nailed it in terms of Mm -hmm. it's more about when you come back, what can you do to market around that?
1: And you actually get a a lot of, um, kind of accidental benefit that you you'll get from cutting items and bringing them back. Everyone always wants to read on incrementality, right? So you launch a new item and then how much of their sales were actually new sales to your portfolio. And, uh, You'll start to see that as you discontinue and bring those items back, right? Because that's something we usually don't get to do. We don't get to just turn everything off at once and turn it back on and see what happened. If we have to do it anyways, I'd say take, the, take a little bit of time, take the measurement, see what happened, and maybe you find out, like Johnny said, that those ninth and 10th SKUs weren't actually adding anything and that you got mm-hmm. back to full sales with eight items. Well, then great. You know you're simpler going forward, get a little bit extra benefit out of it. Exactly.
0: So we sort of segued from pricing back to our original assortment, which just shows that we've talked about before, distribution <laughs> and assortment, that's the most important sales controllable. so we can't help ourselves to talk about it. But uh, from a pricing perspective, yeah, I'd highly recommend that you're probably taking some sort of price increase or some sort of pricing action this year to keep up with the increasing cost and managing the unknown. Like something's going to happen where you're going to need margin. You're going to need that margin to manage your supply chain and manage your operations and manage your business. So now is the time to do it because you got to sustain your business. You need to be a sustainable business and margin is the most important piece there.
1: Yeah. So I think sustainability, when we talk about a business being sustainable, we, we think about the environmental side and sustaining the environment, which needs to be done as we know, but you can't be a force for good with the environment or any other sustainability initiatives if you don't exist. And so mm-hmm. su- stability, sustainability of your business needs to be there. That's part of all of your other sustainability initiatives. Price increase is a bit of a dirty word, but there's really no other option once you've scraped the barrel on cost-saving initiatives.
2: Okay, so here is a question for you two, since you're both much smarter than me and work with much bigger budgets than, than I have. I saw a, uh, a water brand. I don't want to name names because I don't want to be too too, too libelous here. But they, they raised $75 million. And I think I could spend the first million of that pretty pretty smartly. I mean, obviously going into some inventory and stuff, but I would love to hear from you two how you would spend $75 million if you were advising or working with or even the CEOs of, of a CPG brand, which just raised a bunch of money and is looking to grow and scale quickly.
1: Put it all in Bitcoin. <laughs> sorry. Sorry.
2: <laughs> done easy episode is yeah. over thank you so much for listening uh, to bricks and clicks make sure you subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts
1: now that's a great uh great question there are so many areas you could spend on really need to think about like where would trying to think where would i prioritize spending that money or like where do i want to first spend the money to make sure that i'm getting my money and to be clear money.
0: colin and i had never been awarded 75 million dollars to go and figure out how to spend so no all we've all not
1: speaking.
0: not yet <laughs> maybe one day not yet one day <laughs> We can plan, so go for it, Colin. Yeah, you go first. Yeah, so
1: so my number one, like, there's places I would want to spend it, just because it's fun to spend on these things. So, like, we work a lot on the trade trade side, so I think about spending money on like distribution and better promotions and stuff. However, I think there's something, a few things, much more important than that. So, my first thing would actually be looking at your logistics and manufacturing saying how how could i bring in experts or make investments in my plant or manufacturing operations to make this simple and scalable so big capital investments i need to make today to scale in a simple way nice mine's kind of tied to that
0: is i would look to at the salaries and wages that we're paying our employees and we can we pay them more let's let's pay them more let's increase their wages because there's a labor shortage right now you need to attract the talent you need to keep the people you have now who have stuck with you through whatever you've gone through and being able to pay a higher wage is something that you could do with this with this 75 million dollars it's going to cover a lot of raises and a lot of new people and i think that's going to sort of put you ahead of other brands out there that maybe you can't do that right now and make you more attractive as like, Hey, we look out for our people and we're willing to spend money in our people. And so I think that's one of the first things I would look at, um, is what can we do to keep and attract new talent into the company across the entire thing, right? From, from working in the factory to working at headquarters out in the field, all of that I'd be trying to, 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 to look at and see where we can mm-hmm. increase our wages.
1: Yeah. And those both kind of, I guess if you need to bring it back to one KPI or one metric that you're really trying to influence there. Fill rate at the end of the day, I think is is the thing mm-hmm. that I'd want to be focusing on. And so the labor, right, focusing on your manufacturing yeah. cap- capabilities and your humans, human capital, right, yeah, um, are paramount to that. And then, I mean, a big chunk of, mon- of that money is certainly going to go towards inventory. I'm assuming yeah. the company that raised se- this company that raised seventy five million dollars is in a high growth mode and needs uh, needs to up their inventory positions. That's so important,
0: especially as we feel like we're going through this inflationary period, right? things you can buy, you can manufacture now with the cash that you have, that's gonna be worth a lot more money six months from now when prices go up, but you've got your finished goods. So you're just, you're making a big return on that. And that's such a powerful spot to be in. If you can have the cash and capital, the liquidity to go and buy that right now. So over invest there on your key SKUs, as we've talked about in the past. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a great one, Colin. It was actually my number two, so you stole it from me.
1: Nice. And then, so those are kind of the boring ones. Are there any other, did you have any other really important ones on your list, Johnny?
0: I think it's important to invest in your sales team. Yep. So your, your team that's out there managing the relationship with customers and how you're going to grow and expand and become a national brand, you have to have those people out there making the calls on all those customers. And so over-investing that, expanding your sales team, hiring people to be direct sales people, I think that's probably something where I'd look at as well. I'm guessing a lot of companies are, haven't invested too much in that right now as they're growing. Mm-hmm. And that's where I'd want to, from a, from a functionality and an organizational development, I'd want to
1: invest there. So get the, get the people, the right people that you need to be able to, to scale. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And then surely a large, a big portion of this is going to go towards marketing. We know, um, yeah. that's now how much, how much towards marketing versus logistics versus keep pe- getting people in seats. I don't I know. I have percentage. opinions on this. Yeah, okay, You go then. <laughs> I don't know. You, you go. Well, I don't have numbers, but yeah. I, the the things I list, we listed before, I think you got to make sure you have the budget to make those right. Yeah. And then look at what you have left over and yeah. just decide how much how now, how much am I willing to invest in marketing? I think it's a mistake to start by saying, Hey, I'm going to spend 20 million of this on marketing over the next three years. And then find out down the road that I need $10 million to invest in CapEx. I don't want to be in that position no, where I spent it on ads and I don't have the machinery I need.
0: Yeah. Because marketing's great to invest in if you can afford to invest in it. And, in our yeah. and it's like, it's lower on the ranking list in terms of the other things we mentioned, but we want to spend it because it's like you said, it's
2: fun. It's exciting.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I guess the other thing we didn't really talk about. Oh, sorry. Go ahead,
2: Lucas. Hey, Johnny. Here's here here's a follow up question. What would you rank the order of spending money on? If obviously, if you have no inventory, you might as well just burn your money if you're going to be spending it on marketing. So, what would you say the the order of operations are? The the bed mass of of spending, spending your capital. I mean,
1: f- I think fill rate be. is number one. So, having product when customers order it. Yep. And that's if you're a high growth raw materials, right? So yeah, you need the organization in place. You need the equipment in place, manufacturing capabilities, and then you need to be able to get the inventory in your warehouses so people can buy it. So everything towards getting product made, that's number and one. And then I would talk about the sales team and in terms of sales strategy and getting,
0: Hey, like, how do we sell the product we have now and mm-hmm. maintain relationship with customers?
1: Because for a high growth company, like, I guess we just kind of touched on, on supply versus demand, right? Like first focus on making sure you can have supply, which is all the manufacturing. And then we said like sales team, which they will be drumming up demand marketing also goes into the demand side. But when you're, when you're a high growth, new company, that's not everywhere in the United States. Again, we're going to talk about distribution basically half of the time. I think on this podcast, probably if not more. But like your growth is going to come from distribution, mm-hmm. and so that that takes the front seat. Now, if you're already in all the stores, if you're if you're selling Pepsi or something, well, then that money is probably going to need to go towards other marketing initiatives, which is how they drum up demand, get your supply, and then get more demand. Which is the sales team at this phase in this company's uh, growth.
0: Also. Fun things to invest into would be your own e commerce platform, your d 2 mm. like, like, how are you managing that, right? Like, that's a tool that you get to sell right to the consumer, which is rare, right? right? Everything else you sell through a distributor and then a customer and the retailer, and then they sell to the consumer. With the D2C direct to consumer, let's call it, you get to sell right to your consumer of your product. That's a pretty powerful tool as well. So, what can we do to invest in that aspect of our business? And what can that do from us from a marketing and perspective and trial and et cetera, trying new products and innovation.
2: And Johnny, you hit the nail on the head with something I was going to mention, which direct-to-consumer really is the cheapest form of R&D that you can have because you can list all your SKUs without paying slotting fees or worrying about sell-through and then having to do do any buybacks or anything. And then you can also see what's selling in what regions, take that information, bring it to your sales team and your your retail partners. I think it's probably an
1: underutilized thing is using that. Yeah, good info there. Yeah, I mean, I, I would also group in with that then. It's a really good one. I wish i had that. Also, working with retailers' online marketplaces and making sure that your presence there is strong and that we're, um, we're participating. Because now, for every retailer out there that has an online marketplace, it's basically an extra retailer, right? That probably hasn't got as much attention as it should have yeah. at this point. So making a concerted effort since you got money to invest in cleaning that up, super valuable
2: yeah like walmart easiest way to get into walmart right now is through the website and it's way less competitive than amazon especially for for grocery too
0: probably yeah. uh spend some money hiring consultant or two specifically omnium it's probably number one actually <laughs> talk about priorities <laughs> That's What i do first bring in yeah. smart people
1: obviously we're biased but even if it's not even if it's not us i would say based uh, yeah. on your supply chain side get yeah get people in who've done it before yeah. know how to do it and can tell you what you don't see. Exactly. Consultants are very valuable. And then do what they recommend. <laughs> that's the <other laughs> part. If you're going to pay the money on them, please please do most of the things they recommend.
2: Sorry, that was a self-plug. That was self
0: our ad. Self-plug there,
1: yeah. <laughs> All right, well, I think that
2: that's a good spot to wrap it up. Johnny, you want to do the outro for us?
1: I think that covers it for this week's podcast of Bricks and Clicks. Thanks to Johnny and Lucas and all of our listeners out there, or both of our listeners, whatever we got. Be sure to subscribe or follow wherever you get your podcasts, and we'll see you again soon. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Lucas. Stay safe, everyone.